Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, the Breaching Extinction podcast explores the plight of the endangered southern resident killer whales through interviews with the people trying to save them. There are currently less than 80 southern resident killer whales left, and they are currently threatened by lack of prey, vessel noise, and water toxins. All these factors impact one another and play a significant role in their population decline. They have historically spent much of their time in the Salish Sea. However, they've been seen less and less likely forced out of their home by lack of prey as well as busy and toxic waters. I'm your host, Erica Wirth, and I decided to start this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer working in the Salish Sea and learning about these animals. Each week, I dive into a new conversation with guests from varying perspectives. I approach these topics through an interdisciplinary lens in hopes of uncovering the intricacies of this complex issue. Through this, I hope to share insight as well as fit the puzzle pieces together needed to save this species. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in being featured on the podcast or sponsoring us, please reach out over Instagram at Breaching Extinction or send an email to info at breachingextinction.com. Thanks. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. Uh, For those of you that are new here, we have started transitioning to talk about other animals and issues within the southern resident habitat. And today we're going to talk about squid with our special guest, Madison Fastford. Hello, everyone. Hello, how's it going? It's going well. I have, I apologize now for like any background noise because of this new puppy that I have and she hopefully will fall asleep soon, but she's playing in the water dish right now. So this is like my favorite, my favorite type of interruption is the interruption. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Tell, tell everyone about your puppy. Cause she's so cute. 10 weeks old today. And her name is Lulu. And she like, I just got her on Craigslist. She's like uh, apparently part Belgian Malinois, part German Shepherd, which is the same dog we already have. So she looks like a German Shepherd and she's got sharp teeth, but she's really small and she's really cute. So tiny, just tiny. So small, so small. small. Speaking of dogs, Hey, is Paige's birthday? Karusty's birthday. Um, she's a little Cinco de Mayo pup pup. Oh, yes. Um, and Paige has had a wonderful day today. So she got to go to work with me because I had one trip, and my passengers were super awesome animal lovers. Um, who like they loved her, they were obsessed with her. Um, like they, she walked around a little bit. Usually I have her like attached to me and like a little baby Bjorn, but like these people loved her and like everyone wanted to pet her. So she was like walking around. Um, and she like, they knew it was her birthday. I was like, Hey guys, it's her birthday. 
is it cool if she comes We're like it's cool we love it and um they ended up like giving her treats on the front of the boat and like singing her happy birthday like they were literally holding her on the bow of the boat <laughs> that's so good <laughs> and she got fin whales today she's never dude we had friendly fin whales no you didn't that's ridiculous i know <laughs> i know that was so special and she was just sitting there and like we we're like peach just look at this fin whale and she's like let me walk around the boat and just get people to pet me instead um <laughs> people are watching peaches <laughs> yeah literally but it was like it was nuts. Like I've never seen a friendly fin whale in my Did life. You see, like, their eyes, like they come and look at you. Um, I'll send you some videos. There was it was yeah. pretty. They're giant, right? Like they're really big. Giant. They're giant. It was like at first we were looking at two, and then it turned into a group of five. The Are you serious? Yeah, we saw because we saw two, and then we saw one. We went over to the other one, um, and then two more popped up so that was a group of three and that group of three met up with our original group of two and then they were like circling the boat it was ridiculous and That's then really cool. and they, they were like, like, like all the boats like all day it was ridiculous um and peaches got to see it so now peaches has seen orcas humpbacks blue whales fin whales rizzo's dolphins pacific white-sided dolphins northern right whale dolphins and bottlenose dolphins she's pro pro whale watcher <laughs> and it's her seventh birthday holy sh oh she's old wait Dude, can we swear on the podcast yeah you can oh. <laughs> Dude, it makes me sad i'm like this all of her other birthdays i'm like woohoo crusty and then this one i'm like oh no um no, she's in her golden years she's beautiful she but the thing is that i need her to live forever crusty <laughs> she is i think that she could i think we can get her to like 18 i think that we're just oh, like okay. Cause like the little dogs, they do live for a long time. So I think we can get her to live for a long time. Right, Krusty? Said Park. Yeah, she's just like in her twenties, like. She is the endangered species that we should be <laughs> thinking about right now. Is right. not those 75 <laughs> vegetarian Southern resident killer whales, but this one Pomeranian named Peaches. Save the Pomeranian Peaches. <laughs> Literally save the Peaches. Literally, I swear to God. <laughs> Make a campaign, save the Peaches. Literally she's not even dying but i swear to god every scientist <laughs> working their ass off to figure out how to make dogs live forever i swear to god like a cryogenic freezing or something literally i'm, I'm like come on dude come on get it together this is literally you like i don't give i don't care about your climate change research i don't care about your covid research start dogs to live forever exactly no truly Truly. So that was Paige's day. She's taking a nap. She's so tired. Yeah, she had a, it was, it was so good. I, I just realized that like, probably I, I was doing too much dog talk in this. Oh, like, it's we're okay. obviously friends. And so I'm just talking to you, like, I'm just talking to you and not like, yeah, yeah. I, needed to, I needed to know that as well as the listeners. <laughs> yeah. That Peaches was doing all this, but you know, it's her birthday. Happy birthday, Peaches. Ooh, this is a special episode. It's a special episode. Go buy submerged so I can buy Peaches a present. There you go. <laughs> Little merch Plug. right there. Plug. <laughs> Plugged. Awesome sauce. So Maddie, tell us about yourself. Who the heck are you? What are you doing on this podcast? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I have yeah. been a fangirl of Breaching Extinction for like the past month or so. 
So I, yeah, I am just like your biggest number one fan, fangirl groupie. I love Breaching Extinction and I love podcasts all of a sudden. So yeah, like a little bit about me. Let's see. Should we start? So I have a bachelor's of science in marine science from Cal State Monterey Bay. And I got that in like 2019. And then I was living like not with Erica, but near Erica in Monterey. Been living was living there for like five years. I got my degree and then I worked at Adventures by the Sea for a few years doing like kayak tours and managing and all this stuff. And also during my undergrad, I did some research projects studying squid, sardines and anchovies, which I think we'll talk more about. And then I like had some health issues that I had to deal with. So recently I moved back to Arizona and right now I'm an analytical technician at a dairy manufacturing plant. So pretty far from marine science, but I am working with milk and working in a lab environment. So that's kind of cool. But have yeah, you, I'm just uh, trying to get back into it, I think. Get it, girl. Get it. Yeah. Um, so that raises a very important question. Have you listened to the song Moo by Doja Cat? Oh my God. It is my new like theme song. <laughs> it's literally my, I'm like, Bishop Macau, Bishop Macau. <laughs> I like forgot about that song. And then yes, now I'm like, okay, cow print everything, like milk. Although milk, <laughs> like my job, it, it requires me to like spend a lot of time, like putting, like we dehydrate all the milk. So like milk comes in 24 seven from cows. It's very interesting. Cause like cows are always producing milk and the like more like, I don't know if it's sustainable or what, but like the like way we do it is we process it and we freaking like dehydrate it into milk powder. And then we sell that out to different companies like Fairlife, Shamrock, all those like milk companies that you know, like they buy the powder and then they produce the liquid milk that you buy in stores. It's super weird. So we like test all the powder for like bacteria, salmonella, all that shit. That is so really weird. That is yeah, so it's really weird. So I'm like, come home like with powdered milk in my hair. And when I take a shower, it like turns into milk. <laughs> it's like really weird. I wondered if it like has any like, like benefits to your hair. That's true. It, ju- it doesn't smell that good. So I like have to really. <laughs> you can really get in there. That's funny. Yeah. That's like so nuts. Like I would, I would feel like, cause I feel like, I mean, I don't buy milk, but like I right. buy coffee creamer and when I go to buy my coffee creamer it's by the milk and like I feel like I see Fairlife and that it seems like a more expensive brand so I feel like they're liars they, okay so that's the thing totally like um Shamrock Fairlife like Kroger like all these like like a lot of brands buy literally their powdered milk from this plant in Arizona it's like a huge it's produces milk for like all over the world and internationally and it's all the same fucking milk all the same fucking milk it's just the branding you know because it's all coming yeah. from the same powdered milk it's it's crazy because i feel like the fair life bottles because i'm always intrigued by those ones because they got a cute little cow on it i do like i like that milk i don't know but it's all the same milk so i don't know <laughs> maybe it's it's probably like when i was in psychology and we were studying like just perception and people like there was we talked about the different studies with wine where it's like you give people two glasses of wine and you're like this one is more expensive this one is cheaper and then they'll like basically like you know sometimes they're telling you the truth sometimes they switch it up and like every time people are like the more expensive one is better every it's time kind of like placebo yeah 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 now you know that's true for your milk so think about that next time you pour your milk into a wine glass and you're drinking it 
<laughs> right on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Got milk. Um, got milk. Amazing. Um, and now I just have Doja Cat in my head. I introduced my captain Jackson to um, Doja Cat, That's specifically amazing. the song Moo. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now I've literally been on like a kick of her, like the new album, like Planet Doja or whatever. I don't know what it's called, but I just like fucking love her. She's so cool. She's literally the best. Literally, like she's so funny. She's so funny. And the song Moo is a classic, and not enough people appreciate that. Like, have you seen the music video too? <laughs> oh my god, no, the music video is so good. Also, <laughs> I do you remember when I'm pretty sure I showed you that I did make uh, I'm hesitant to say this on the podcast because I don't want anyone to go Google it. Oh my God. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You should say it on the podcast. I think people need to, I'm going to cry. <laughs> so yes, that video, you progressively get more. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Share. Why don't you share? <laughs> oh, so it was during COVID. Like, I don't right. know like three days into the shutdown and I was like oh how funny would it be if I got drunk and I did makeup tutorials um but I'm not a person that wears makeup so it just turns into me painting my face like an animal and I think I did a cow and a tiger and yeah was it a tiger yeah tiger king Mm -hmm. yeah and then I just like get drunk and like make jokes about cows and tigers the link will be posted in the show notes we're not if they if they feel like they need to find that they can go dig on the internet for that <laughs> go dig around but yeah it's really good oh my god this, this the shapes of the spots on your face they were <laughs> very good very artistic i forgot about that whoops Me too. <laughs> um yeah so moo on that note moo no um, <laughs> yes Amazing. Okay, so you did some research. Now we're now we're here for what the people are here for, not peaches, yes. birthday, and cow stuff. Um, because yeah, um, <laughs> it's important. But that's like I'm really just shocked about the powder still. But anyways, so you did some work with anchovies and sardines and squids. Tell us about these these animals. Yeah, I would love to talk about them because I love them. Anchovies are, well, I don't know, it's between anchovies and squid, which I like more. But like basically it's just kind of my experience. I did a research experience for undergraduates through CSUMB and that was like sort of a program that collaborated with all the institutions in the Monterey Bay area. So it was like UCSC, Moss Landing, um, Elkhorn Slough, they do research there. CSUMB and Hopkins Marine Station, which is owned by Stanford. And that's the lab that I worked at. So I was working at Hopkins Marine Station. Basically my mentor just like threw me into a wet lab with a thousand anchovies and a thousand sardines and was like, here you go, you get to do research. But a little bit about those animals in particular that are known as like forage fish. Yeah. And they are like super, super important because the lab I got chosen for was like, this like known as this big whale, they study whales. And it's like Jeremy Goldbogen's lab. And I'm like, hell yeah, I get to go study whales, you know? And they're like, yep, you're gonna study the anchovies because of how important they are to like as prey and as for like yeah. energy flow through the food chain, you know? So yeah, they're forage fish. They live in these like humongous schools. They're very fast. And what's really cool about them and what really interests me is I'm really into animal energetics in particular, but like 
with anchovies yeah. and sardines, they feed almost like a lunch feeding whale, but they, it's called ram filter feeding. And so they like open up their mouths really wide to like ram themselves into just like tiny microscopic plankton. But when they open up their gills to do this feeding mechanism, they create a lot of drag. And so it's like a very energetically costly feeding behavior, um, but that's how they forage. And that's kind of what I was studying. Um, but if you want a quick description of squid, I was studying California market squid. And I don't know, Erica, you can tell me, but I have this like theory that like, how are whales not eating squid? You know what I mean? Like, I know, I know some whales eat squid, but specifically I'm thinking of the humpbacks because like these squid live in like these big schools. They fill the same ecological niche as anchovies and sardines, but then like humpbacks are eating krill and anchovies. Like, I don't, I don't really know too much about the whale part, but it's like, why aren't they eating squid? You know, maybe they are, I don't know. Maybe it's the beak. Like maybe they can't process the beak or something. Yeah. Or like how squid escape, they escape by jetting. And I think like, maybe they can like escape better, like in their schools, but I don't know. Cause anchovies kind of all like congregate together. Whereas squid would maybe like jet away. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe if we knew a little bit more about how they move about, I could better answer that question. Also, like, don't those squid go like super deep down? They do. So they do like a, it's like a, a vertical migration. So like during the day, I yeah. know it's super, during the day, they are usually in deeper waters, but then at night they come to the surface to feed. So you've seen like the squid boats in Monterey with like their yeah. lights at night. It's a, that's also why I was studying the squid is because it's a very lucrative fishery. It's actually like the number one bait fishery in California, if I'm not mistaken, but it's just like, yeah, they're like very uh, marketable because there's so many of them. They have this like yes. fast, uh, they like live fast, die young kind of thing. They like reproduce really quick. Yeah. And just, they're just constantly reproducing these like new populations up and down the coast. And yeah, they, you know, they come to the surface at night. So uh, yeah, yeah, they do that weird vertical migration. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. They're very abundant. They're, that's nuts. Um, that's like, okay, so how deep exactly do they go down? You know, that's a good question. I, I really don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, like how, they stay pretty close to the coast. So like, I don't know, like water depths of like, just like in Monterey, like what, because they're not like down in the canyon, you know? Oh, but, interesting, interesting. Because I yeah, know that's whales aren't like super deep divers in the canyon can be like several thousand feet. So yeah, I don't think they're going that deep, but like, yeah, th and this is just like, this isn't like Humboldt squid or giant squid. This is just the market squid that live in these schools and they're smaller. They're about the size of an anchovy. I don't know how deep they go, but they do hang out at the bottom and they lay their eggs on the bottom too. They like lay their like little egg sacs will attach them to like kelp steadfast and in, in the rocky bottom so I don't know how deep it is though in Monterey yeah I'm pretty sure that the humpback whales lay their eggs there too and then they'll they'll go down at night and they'll put them on their blowhole and shoot them on the land <laughs> I was like wait a second is that how that works <laughs> yes yeah oh yeah that's really interesting I did not know that about yeah now you do now you do <laughs> yeah so they're super interesting they're super strange yeah that's that's really cool I know our Rizzo's dolphins like to eat them and then the Rizzo's dolphins have like scarring around their mouth usually from the squid which is pretty cool 
Yeah, yeah. So in my project, when I was working with them, like I thankfully never got bit by one, but I would have to go out and like catch the squid myself, transport them to a holding tank, transport them to a, like with my hands, you know, like picking up the squid, putting them into my experimental setup and like they are feisty. And the really cool fun fact about squids that I like to tell people is that they can aim their siphon, you know, the mm -hmm. siphon is what they use to like squirt ink or squirt water to move. Yeah. And they can aim that. And so like, if there's a researcher, a pesky researcher coming in to like pick them up, they will aim their siphon at the researcher, AKA me and squirt you directly in the face with salt water. And it is ridiculous or ink like squidding. So like, that was a really fun experience. I mean, to be fair, you kind of probably deserve that. If you're going to, if you're going to be picking them up and processing. Fair enough. Yeah. The, if we do talk about my specific project, um, I did some things to the squid that, yeah, definitely would elicit like getting squirted in the face. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it would be that. Would, yeah. Okay. <laughs> tell us about your, tell us about your squid project then. Yeah. So, so the anchovies was kind of my first, like, I was studying their foraging behavior, uh, like that ram filter feeding I talked about with increased seawater temperature. So that was kind of how I started. We won't go into that one right now. But oh, I kind of want to, well, I want to know about the anchovies too. I have a lot well, of them. is really cool. I have that poster on my wall. Yeah, right I see the poster behind you. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell us about like the life cycle of like an anchovy? Cause like, I'm like, how the hell? Cause we see the humpback whales eating the anchovies all the time. We see everything eating the anchovies all the time. How are there just like enough anchovies? You know, I do wish I knew more about the life history of the anchovy, but like, I, I don't know all the answers to that. I just know a lot about their like behavior and their like foraging energetics, but like, I know they start as larvae and I don't know, there's, they are so abundant. It's like the same question with krill. I ask myself all the time, I'm like, how is there enough krill to like eat blue whales? I don't know. Yes, for sure. I don't know that, but I do know that like, there are these like, with like, I think it is involved with like El Nino and La Nina, but like there's sometimes we're in like a sardine regime or an anchovy regime or squid regime, depending on like seawater temperature. Um, and I believe anchovies prefer like cooler seawater temperatures, but okay. I, I don't know their like life history. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. but I can start with the anchovy project and tell you what I found, what my findings yes. were. Tell us your findings. That was my first project. So yeah, so during the research experience for undergraduates, I had a whole summer with these anchovies and some experimental tanks and such. So I came up with this idea to study like how much energy does it cost an anchovy to ram forage feed as opposed to beat glide swimming, which is what they're doing. They're like beating their tail a couple times and gliding, beating their tail a couple times and gliding. And that's just like how they cruise, hmm. you know, they're not like escaping or feeding. But then when they go to feed, they open up their mouths like I said it increases drag we assume costs them more energy so I wanted to know how much energy it costs to feed and then if we increase seawater temperature is that gonna like change anything you know because seawater temperatures are getting warmer and warmer each year as we see right so that was kind of my thought there so I wanted to know like okay if it's getting warmer are the anchovies gonna have to work harder you know right so I took the anchovies and I basically like took video of them from above while they swam in a school. And I did that in the um, like ambient seawater temperature. And then I also studied the same thing in warmer seawater temperature. So we bumped up the temperature like five degrees. It was like 18 Celsius compared to like 13 Celsius. And we did find that in warmer seawater temperature, like, so then basically through my, all my data analysis, I like, I won't go into the like nitty gritty here, but I was yeah. um, 
digitizing their swim pattern to get their kinematics. So like I got things like tail beat frequency, tail beat amplitude, and their speed, their distance per stroke. So these were like kind of the metrics that I was quantifying. And we did find that there was like a significant difference between the seawater temperatures and their tail beat amplitude, mm-hmm. meaning like what tail beat amplitude is, is basically like a wider stroke. So if the amplitude is larger, like they're beating hard, like swimming harder, essentially. Okay. Nice. And so their tail beat amplitude increased in higher temperatures, meaning they're like swimming faster, harder, which would lead us to assume they're using more energy in yeah. warmer temperatures. So that was cool. Cause I found like, yeah, I that I use like a Wilcox rank sum test, you know, I won't get into the statistics, but the statistics showed a significant increase in tail beat amplitude with increased yeah. seawater temperature. For and sure. that was really interesting. And then we also just saw more like variation in their swim patterns when it was warmer. So rather than like yeah. swimming steadily as a school in cold water, like they were kind of like more sporadic. So kind of like, oh, that's not good if the seawater is getting warmer and they're using more energy, like that could, you know, lead to problems up the food chain. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's wow, climate change, man. It's I know, I know. <laughs> that was a really cool project for me. So because I was doing that work and like I still lived in Monterey, I was able to continue my research funded by CSUMB at Hopkins Marine Station yeah. for the next few years in that same lab. So kind of like, you know, worked with some PhD students and my mentor had moved back to Scotland, but I kind of like had these things, like these like materials at my disposal. And I was like, Hey, what's the next project I'm going to yeah. do? And that's when I got into the squid project. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. Okay. So tell us about the squid project then. So then for the squid, so the lab I was working in, Jeremy Goldbogen's lab, they, what they do is they put suction cups on blue wells and humpback whales, the suction cup tags. Yeah. So, and these tags, I mean, you can read their papers, but a lot of what they're studying is like the movement, like the accelerometry. So there you get like, I don't know all what they're doing, but they, they, they do use this tagging technology. So I knew there was like some tag technology available in the lab. And I also knew that squid were pretty easy to go out and fish for, and mm-hmm. we could keep them alive in a lab for a few days. So that kind of led me to question like, hmm, can we put a tag on a California market squid? I wanted to tag the anchovies, but since an anchovy is a vertebrate, has a backbone, mm-hmm. you can't just attach a tag to an anchovy. Most studies with tagging fish will surgically implant the tag. And I don't know how to do surgery. So I was like, hey, uh, that's not going to work. Who's out here doing surgery on a fish and putting it back in the water? That's nuts. Dude, I don't know. People like have done it with like rock fish to like to, like monitor where they go. I don't I don't know. There's people who do it or like in the East Coast, like the Carolinas. I think there's some studies. Yeah, so it's it's pretty rare though to tag small animals because you don't want to like disrupt their behavior. But I'm very interested in animal tagging technology because marine animals, like there's so much we don't know what's going on with them when they're below the surface, you know? And with a tag, you can, you know, if you're doing it in the right way, you can uncover all this different behavior and energetics and stuff that we don't know. So that's really cool. So I was really interested in this tag technology. I was working with some people also in William Gilly's lab and Gilly is kind of like a well-known squid biologist. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, well, the protocols currently allow you to attach things to squid because they are um, invertebrates. And so 
I was like, okay, so I can attach a tab just to the back of a squid. Sim- like it's simple. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So then I developed this like bio logger that had a triple axis accelerometer, very similar to what is in your phone or like a Fitbit that like tracks your movement, you know? Mm-hmm. So it gives you like your orientation and movement on like three axes. So you can't see my hand, but it's like X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it's going to tell me how the squid's moving. So I developed this tag. It took me a long time to like troubleshoot, like waterproofing and stuff, but got a really small tag, probably about two inches um, long, very thin. It was neutrally buoyant as well. That took some time to figure out because we wanted the tag to like not affect the squid's buoyancy. For sure. So anyway, most of my project was like building this tag, was building this biologger that was going to be like not affect the squid's behavior, be small enough, be waterproof. Be able, you know, because people aren't tagging squid. I mean, there's a couple labs in like Woods Hole, but this was pretty novel at the time. And so I built this tag, put it on the squids. And if I know everyone always wants to know, like, how did you attach it to the squids? The literal way, like that's current and accepted is using cyanoacrylate cement, which is super glue. So these tags were literally super glued to the mantle of the squid just in the center. And then I would take the squid and put it into a swim tunnel, which was a, a basically an underwater treadmill, and then have the squid swim at different speeds to then like um, the tags recording their movement. So I'm recording, I know how fast they're swimming based on the speed of the water and then the tag data I'm getting. So then I would analyze the tag data to see like, can we use this data I'm getting from the tag to determine how fast a squid is swimming? How much energy are they using? in the wild, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like an experimental study to see if we can use these tags on wild squid, which still hasn't been done, um, but the tag technology is out there. So that was a lot of my project there was determining, you know, and like there's this uh, metric called ODBA, which I'm also really interested in. It's called overall dynamic body acceleration. And there's kind of like two two, uh, like, thoughts on it. Like some people think it's a good metric to use as a proxy for metabolic rate. And some people don't, but like mm-hmm. it's been used in birds, large mammals. So like if you do this calculation to determine how much an animal is accelerating, like their overall body acceleration, you can then assume how, what their metabolic rate is, like how much energy are they using? Um, and so I wanted to like test and see if, okay, ODBA, is yeah. this, can this metric be used as a proxy in squid? And I did find a significant relationship. So, I mean, I, I, the, the findings were never published. I never got that far to as to write the paper and get it peer reviewed or, you know, it never got published. Although I think the science is pretty sound. And that's like what, what I found is that, yeah, this acceleration can be, we can, so if you want to tag a wild squid, you can then like start to assume, but there's lots of complications with that because like how are we going to get the tags back and there's you know some more technology to be discovered that's pretty nutsy okay so how did you like how did you go about figuring that out because you're like a you're a science person you're like an ecology person and you're like okay how do I make this neutrally buoyant like what type of materials did you have to use like figuring it out for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you asked because that literally took up so much of my time, like, like figuring that shit out, like the little details, you know, and it was so sad because I'd spend a whole day building a tag just to like put it in the water and it get fried, you know? So yeah. These little, but the, the great thing about the tags is um, a lot of like big whale tags right now are very, 
expensive. These little bio loggers I was getting there, um, Arduino. And so you can get them on Amazon for like 30 bucks, you know, so it was okay if I tried one, I'd just get another one. But, um, and then you program it uh, using a software and, you know, get it all set up. But um, to waterproof it, I use this like heat shrink wrap, kind of like, not like shrinky dink, but like, so the tags is like little rectangular piece of metal with a battery on it. It has this tiny little lithium ion battery. Sorry, that's my mom. Then um, little rectangular piece of metal that obviously can't get wet. It's got an SD card in there too. And I would slip that into a little sleeve of heat shrink wrap. And then you take a heat gun. And when you heat that up, it like shrinks around the tag and like seals it up. So you could seal it pretty good that way. And if I did it correctly, no water would get in. So I use this like special heat shrink wrap, which you could also get on Amazon for like three bucks, like a big tube of it. Perfect. So that's why I like waterproofed it. But then when you take the tag that I would put it in a test tank to see is buoyancy, it was always negatively buoyant. So it always would sink to the bottom. So then from there, I would literally like every experiment and I did like probably a hundred experiments on a hundred different squids. It was maybe more like 90, but it was like 90 times, you know, I would take the tag and then I had just little pieces of like, I don't know if it was like pool noodle or like little pieces of foam. And like, so each iteration was like different, but I would always get the tag to be neutrally buoyant. So I'd like cut little tiny pieces of foam and glue that on and like drop the tag in the water. Did it sink? Did it float? Take a little foam off? Like it was just this very like, like meticulous process. It didn't take super long, but like to make sure the tag would float exactly in the middle of the water column because squid are neutrally buoyant. So you don't want to like weigh them down or have them be floating, you know, with this. Right. Yeah. Some equipment to them so yeah that was how I did that it was, was kind of tricky but it was kind of fun too yeah no that sounds like a lot of fun to try to figure it's like out a craft it, it's like a craft project it gets your brain yeah. to like think about things differently but it has a cooler outcome I think than a craft project because you get to yeah, yeah. The squid and see what the squid is doing yeah and there were at the time only two other papers I can't remember the scientists but I know they're uh working on a, from a lab in Woods Hole Massachusetts but um that had deployed tags on like much larger I think they were maybe cuttlefish or something but so I was just I had these two papers methods that I was reading and I was like okay this is how they tried this and I just had to basically like shrink everything down to fit on a good squid but for sure it was a yeah pretty cool project dude that's incredible like literally that's incredible and you just super glue yeah. chill squid so okay Cause I have a little saltwater fish tank and whenever my little corals were babies, I would have to like super glue the corals to things. Oh. Um, and so, cause otherwise it's just gonna like the filter is going to push it around. So you have to have it like latched onto something. And sometimes they would come off the little thing that they were originally latched to. So yeah. you have to like, like, does the squid have to be dry for you to yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah, this was another interesting part of the project, just in, like the sort of the methods, you know, like, so to start, you know, or like I get the tag all ready to go. And then I have catch my little squid. We had a big holding tank that they like lived in. I fed them minnows to keep them alive for a few days, which was also cool to see them eat minnows. But um, then I would take the squid, catch it out of the holding tank, put it in a smaller tank. And then from there, this is when I would always get squirt in the face. Cause then I grabbed the squid and they can live out of water for like several minutes. You know, they're like mm -hmm. not very long, but you can take them out of water, set them on the lab bench and then use Kim wipes, you know, little like lab wipes, like that you clean your gut, 
you just kind of like dab it and you dry it off and then you stick the tag on and stick them right back in the water. How long do you have to like, because it has to harden, right? Yeah, but it, it hardened pretty quick. So I would wait, like I would sing happy birthday, like twice, you know, like 20 seconds. Yeah, for sure. And then just toss them back in. Yeah. And I learned this method from Diana Lee. She, I think she moved to the East coast. I think she's working at a, a, a museum now, but she was, she's a really like leading squid biologist. She was a PhD student at the time. She did something with like squid synapses, but basically she had to like put squid on like a long stick to like hold them in place. But she taught me how to like super glue squid. So That's shout cool. out Diana Lee. She's really cool. She's Amazing. on Instagram. <laughs> Go give her a follow or something. Yeah. She's super into squid. That's awesome. Okay. So I, then I'm curious cause now my like psychology background is making me wonder about how do you, cause like, you know, captive studies are obviously like, it gives us some information, but it's not going to give us like all the same information. How, like, how do we know that the data is like not super influenced by them being freaked out that they've been pulled out of the water and super glued? Right. Them? Yeah. 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 That's a good question. I'm glad you asked because we do, <clears throat> when we move them into the swim tunnel, which is like this, it's hard to describe like without pictures, but it's like this humongous, like what's the word, like oval shaped tank. So they have a lot of space in this thing. Mm -hmm. So I would then put the tag squid into this experimental setup. And from there, the whole thing is covered up with like black tarp and like, you know, like with some ambient lighting. So it's like a calm setting, you know, we move it into, and then it did get a 45 minute acclimation period. So then we let it like, kind of like chill out in there cool. with a little, like a steady current kind of just like, you know, made it real comfy for the squid in there. And they didn't seem to really like freak some, a couple like big male squids. This only happened a couple of times, but like had long enough arms to reach back and rip the tag off. Of them. So it was like super interesting. They were like, hell no. And they like ripped the, ripped the tag. They were like, no, fuck this, you know? So that was really interesting to see. And then uh, one other, like, just kind of like anomaly we found was like, what I did some, this was sort of really preliminary, but we did some group studies where we put like other squids in the swim tunnel to see if like there would be any sort of different hydrodynamics associated with like the group yeah. swimming. But like um, like few times, like the male squid, if a female squid was tagged, like they were attracted to the tag and they would start mating with the tag squid, which is like super weird. And squid just like, they kind of like hold on to each other when they mate and they just like swim around as like a duo. It was like, just like super strange. So. That only happened a few times, though, like nothing significant that we would say like, okay, this is like, you know, affecting the results. But um, yeah, some of the big male squids had long enough arms to, but otherwise, besides those few instances, they, they seem pretty chill in the swim tunnel with the tag on. That is really interesting. Okay, so do we know like what female squids are, are doing during the mating time when they're trying to mate that would maybe like... Yeah. Uh, like the, the tag was sexy I don't know I don't know so like I know yeah we came up with some theories really this is all just like you know an educated guess like so there's no like real evidence here but like when squid are going to mate they like and there are some people studying this but like squid can change their color with their chromatophores right like they don't mm. camouflage as well as an octopus but they do like kind of like we think communicate with one another by these different like coloring patterns they do like they can flash they can like go all dark they can like 
change their colors. And um, when they're mating, they they just like signal that they want to mate. They'll go like darker, and the tag was black. So we didn't know. Like we thought about you know testing different colors of the tag, but maybe like the coloring of the tag like signaled like, hey, I'm like this darker color. Like I'm ready to mate, you know. But really, sure. when, in reality, we don't we don't really know. But yeah, it was it's kind of interesting. That's interesting. Like I'm yeah. just like, I don't know. My first thought I'm like that sounds gay. Like it just sounds yeah. Squids, squids are just really like weird and it also like because like males like sometimes they'll like battle like male squids will try to like they're not obviously mating but they're like doing a mating behavior like towards another male squid which like you know oh, like okay. yeah called it dominance you know I I don't know they're just they're fascinating little creatures just, and they're like more clever than people take them for I think. Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. They're definitely like super smart and people are like this is a fish. People don't people underestimate fish. I mean yeah. it's not really fish because it's not in the little fish class, but you know, people underestimate anchovies, like anchovies are really derpy, let me just say. And like a squid is like looking at you like 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 plotting, you know? Like I I don't know. They're just like they seem up to something sometimes and they have like different personalities like some squid were like like inking a bunch they're like scared and they're like oh my god no and then like some squid were like yeah like test like test me you know i'm like, like yeah put the tag on me and let's see <laughs> let's see let's see let's yeah. go so they, they did have some personalities which was really interesting yeah that's amazing um yeah study squid personality maybe someone could Dude, that would be, that's like, like, I remember just cause like, I mean, I majored in psychology and just like, we talked a lot about anthropomorphizing animals. And I like for people that have been listening to the podcast and like the episodes specifically, we've talked a lot about that recently, Kendra and Liam and I have like, you know, cause I, I think science definitely limits us. And I feel like when I was learning about science, um, and how to study animals. Like you couldn't really say that an animal had their own personality. Like that was like taboo. And right. now like, I mean, you, like you can see it when you talk, when you look at dogs, you know, right. Like all the dogs yeah, have yeah. all those personalities and you know, there's no reason why other animals wouldn't. And we definitely see like kind of signature behaviors from certain whales when we go on the water. So like you know, like if we, if we saw like a, a small whale breach and then a large whale chin slap last summer, we're like, oh, there's a roar and fluke Skywalker. Like you don't even need to see the tail flukes. And we get up there and they're like, yep, that's who it is. Like, it's interesting, like with such a large, like animal too. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I, I was just thinking, I used to like kind of laugh at like you and Dane, you know, you you, you whale people like this oh is God. noodles and he loves spaghetti, you know, <laughs> like you guys like talking about the whales. I'm like, come on. But like, there is some truth to it. You know, I think like it's okay because these animals do have personalities. Like there's, they're like sentient, you know? Yeah. I think they're it's happy. like, you know, you don't want to be like, oh my God, this animal is my best friend. I'm inviting it to Thanksgiving. But like, <laughs> you know, I feel like you could be like, yes, like, you know, maybe like this animal seems to be more active than the average humpback whale or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah, it, it's a fine line that we walk. And then we're also kind of learning too, that this, at least from reading the being Sam and being human book, that like the idea of not wanting to anthropomorphize animals is maybe not our best idea. Um, in a sense it is, but it's, you know, people are more likely to connect and care for an animal if they have 
if it's kind of spoken about in a more poetic sense versus like you know scientific name number 30 (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah no no no. I feel you um yeah so it's interesting I think there's a balance I think that we got to find a happy medium in between the two because I feel like science is too harsh and I think that sometimes we limit ourselves I think we're starting to see a change and less so limiting ourselves in what is possible um for these animals but at the same time like I don't think it's helpful to be like you know this whale's my best friend you know so yeah because I definitely used to lean more towards the opposite side of the spectrum like no do not anthropomorphize this animal it is a fucking animal like I don't know but I think that kind of like goes back to I really like how you talk about in your podcast a lot like people's egos you know it's like I don't know it's like what is the difference between an animal and and human like I, I don't know if there really is one and I like you know, learning about the orcas and stuff and all their different like family bonds. So I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting. I subject. think it's also like because for a long time I was like, oh yes, yeah, just from an objective. Like when you're a young person, that's what everybody tells you, and you're trying to be a budding scientist. Like, of course right. you're just gonna buy into everything. But I definitely do think that ego plays a role because then if we find out that these animals do have culture, which is some, most of them probably right. do, um, yeah. and that they do have personalities, what does that then mean about? like the way that we treat them right. and we interact with them. What does that mean at that point? Um, them, yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, I think a lot of people pick and choose the science that they want. And I think in this instance, sometimes people pick and choose what they want to acknowledge about, you know, animals. Um, Cause you know, you find out that they do have all these complexities to them, you know, say squids are like that. Maybe people won't want to eat squid. I don't know, but right. Right. It just depends. But also, you know, it is, we see it just because that they have complex societies doesn't necessarily mean that that's the reason why like eating them might be like, you know, a bad thing because there's plenty of animals. Obviously we, there's predatory animals. We see killer whales killing shit all the time. Like it's not like a moral flaw necessarily to do what's like in your nature. It's in a killer whale's nature to eat a baby gray whale. If you're a transient killer, whale. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, I think that could be part of it too, because then you got to question if everybody is like, if all the animals are like us, then why are we treating the planet the way that we are? You know, I know I've just, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot too recently, but yeah. Um, squid by the way, are doing like just fine in the face of climate change, which is like also super interesting. Like they are just like so abundant. My, one of my mentors would say like, arguably the largest biomass of like marine small marine animals I don't know there's some statistic but he thinks like they are just so abundant and I think I think it's somewhat true they can they reproduce so quickly and there's so many of them so I don't know you can eat, feel free to eat calamari yes <laughs> but just know that's good how to personality <laughs> yeah and know that they probably got some microplastics in them too and you can get your daily sure, yeah. I've been um getting my microplastics directly from the source recently what does that even mean (laughs) um it means that every morning not every morning but it happens it's happened at least four times when I make my acai bowls and I go Mm -hmm. to like like mix the smoothie a little bit because sometimes it gets stuck in the blender and you got to mix it sometimes I've accidentally mixed it while it's going it'll like chop off like part of my little spatula and (gasps) and I'm like oh okay um 
move on from it. No, I just like, I get my microplastics directly. I mean, here's the situation. As you said, like locally sourced is always the best. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a key part of a healthy diet. It's just like, I would, I would much rather like make my microplastics in my kitchen, like source it from my kitchen rather than go to the ocean and get an animal. Yeah, it's that's, just that's it's more direct. You get more of the toxins. Mm-hmm. You get more of like the benefits to um, inhibiting your reproduction. Like it's just a lot it's overall better. It's just overall, overall better. Yeah. So I put that in there. I get my fruit and my kale in there. I get my banana, my acai. And then of course, now I got that Randy Seamoss. Yeah, your acai bowl game is like really strong. I need to get on that level. Dude, acai bowls, it's the best way to start the day. I like literally, I feel like I can do whatever I want when I have my acai bowls and I go to yoga. Like it's like, okay, cool. We we're on our yeah. grind, grind time, prime time, you know, get your mind right. Cereal and Starbucks. So yeah, I think I maybe need to switch to, but I I yeah. Acai bowls are addictive. They are addictive. And then you're just like you're waking up. But the, but the key to a good acai bowl is to get good granola and microplastics. Um, so get a good spatula to accidentally mix into there and then me, get a good a recipe, yeah. including the spatula. Including spatula. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's great. <laughs> Obviously. Tangent. Perfect. This is, what, this is what I feel like sometimes I question if people like these or not, but I like when people go off on tangents on podcasts. Me too. It's like hilarious. It like makes me laugh. I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, totally people like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the, the praline, like pecan, um, uh, granola from Trader Joe's. It's like got like okay. maple in it, which like you wouldn't think necessarily goes with an acai bowl, but it's popping. Put some hemp seeds on there. You're popping. Oh, I don't like hemp seeds. because they get stuck in my teeth. Well, just blend it into the smoothie with your microplastics. Oh, okay. Fair yeah. <laughs> We're jamming. Amazing. Okay. So speaking of things that make us feel healthy, wow, that was that ended up being a great transition. Great transition. <laughs> yes. Um, you also wanted to talk about mental wellness. Let's talk about yes. it. dive in. Yeah. 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 It's a broad subject, but I've I really started to so since I moved to Arizona, I've really started to in my own personal life and like something I'm sort of striving for is to be an advocate for mental wellness in the sciences, like in STEM, you know, um, or STEAM now as people are calling it, cause I like the arts too, but uh, basically like I face a, a really tough struggle. So I, I was working at Stanford, you know, I, I was, had a lot of recognition at the time and, and at the time too, I was, I can admit, I was pretty much like a clout chaser, you know, I was like, hell yeah, I'm working at this, really cool marine station I'm doing this really novel work I'm doing it independently like I have potential to get published here and it was just really a big deal for me and like to get my marine science degree like this was all great and then I wanted to go on to graduate school and get a PhD and I still do but this was back then you know I just had all this like motivation but what was motivating me wasn't necessarily my own self it was more like the recognition and the status of being like a a researcher for an Ivy League, you know, like for something like Stanford like that. And so I really like stopped caring about like the important things, you know, like animal conservation, um, you know, the health of our planet and the health of my own self. Yeah. And so like after I, like my funding ran out at that position, I started working at the kayak rental shop. My mental wellness just took a like steep decline. And I 
fell like struggled with this disease of substance use and addiction and these are mental diseases that are real and not not everyone like there's still people out there who like don't believe that like so I'll, I'll just give you the list of my my uh disorders is uh I have obsessive compulsive disorder post-traumatic stress disorder addiction substance use depression and anxiety and that's a long list and I'm you know, finally comfortable with like sharing that with people because I am who I am and I'm on this kind of like self-love journey. But so I hit like a really low bottom and, you know, like pretty much kind of the options for me were, you know, like not looking good. It was either going to be to like leave this earth or I don't know, that was pretty much it. And so by like the divine nature of the universe, I don't know, some, some magical force, like brought me back to Arizona with my family and I've just been kind of like working on getting healthy and now that I kind of been listening to your podcast you know I've been doing a lot of work I have a therapist I take medication for my problems or struggles I like to call them struggles rather than like issues but um it's been like really life-changing because I do feel now that I can go back to graduate school with this motivation of like this is what I want to do for me because I like it and I'm good at it and if I don't get any sort of recognition, I don't care, you know, like it's not about the recognition anymore for me. And so I, and I think like, I'm okay saying this now because if anyone else is like a young, especially like women scientists, like I know depression and anxiety are like a big deal and a lot of people struggle with it. And it's like, it's okay to like say that you have those problems and like, you don't have to be, cause I used to just like grind, grind, grind. I had to be in the wet lab seven days a week for like all this time, you know, like there was no break because I had to like produce this data and it just led me down to this like rock, rock bottom for sure. You know, I was making some really bad decisions and very unhealthy. And since then, you know, I can say I got six months of sobriety. I am sober today. And like, I just like have so much more like love for myself. And now that I feel like I can like take care of myself, I can start to make things to like take care of my planet and be, be, be a better friend, you know, listen to my best friend's podcast and just like, you know, be on the podcast and shit. So I, I just, I want to advocate for mental wellness. I think it's really important. It's like burnout is real. All these things are real, you know? So I don't know. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about just because that's why I'm working at the milk manufacturer now. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of a tough place to be in, but I like love every day. I wake up and I tell myself every day, it's the best day ever, you know, like I'm alive another day and like, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where life takes me. So definitely. I, it makes me like very emotional to hear you. I know, are you like tearing up? <laughs> like, <my God. laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely tearing up a little bit. It just like, cause I've known you for how long have I known you? I like pretty much since that. Yeah. Two, yeah. two years. Like, yeah. And, yeah. And so I met you at the kayak place and um, yes, and it was so fun. And, you you know, and we became friends and I've seen you, like, I saw you go down and I saw you hit rock bottom. And then like, and that was a scary place for all of us, I think. And like, you know, I, me and another friend tried to talk to you about, you know, getting yourself mentally right. And sometimes you just, just have to hit rock bottom. And I think for all of us, we all learn those lessons. And I think that you're totally right that a lot of people like go through stuff and they don't talk about it. Like, you know, um, especially not publicly. And it's so easy to think that you're the only person going through this because 
we live in a world where social media is super prominent and uh, most people I would say are on it. And most people are posting about how amazing their lives are. And I actually had a really um, interesting like realization with this recently. Like we just had a, a, a weekend where a bunch of people are in from out of town because all of the companies advertised that it was an orca weekend. We didn't see orcas. I went out on this like eight hour whale watch just mostly so I could hang out with two of my friends. Um, and then it was like, I didn't go out the other day. because so I was like, this is not, I'm not going to spend my day off doing this, but everyone posted about how amazing it was when in reality, I know that everyone was miserable on those boats. Like, cause who, cause you know, as fun as it is to go out in nature, it's not fun all the time. Um, right. but yeah, I think we live in a Especially world. Where, job. Yeah. And I think people too, they want to tell you, you know, we, we we all feel this pressure that we all have to be doing well. And I think the more that people open up and talk about how they have mental struggles, like what you're going through, because I, that takes a lot of courage to like, just like admit that, like you struggled with addiction and that like, you know, and it's amazing that you're able to overcome that and that you're now working at like this milk place and, you know, yeah. which it like, it's all like an important part of your journey, but sometimes too, like, and it seems like at the time that like things suck, but sometimes rock bottom is, is one of the best things. And I like, that sounds bad, but it's like, I've had rock bottom moments as well, where it's like, if that didn't happen, like something awful would have had to happen. Like chills because it's so true. Yeah. Like, you know, me very well. And like, you know, this is not something that I've really shared with my listeners, but you know, I'm you know, here talking with you. So I'm like, you know, you're giving me the courage to say things like I grew up in a very abusive, toxic, neglectful home. And, um, my mother was physically and mentally and verbally abusive to me, um, all growing up. And there was a situation in which it just took a tremendous turn. My life almost changed. Like for you, you were like, I almost had to like leave this earth. Like they're mm-hmm. like, you know, like she's just a very dangerous person. And for me, I had like, it took that one final thing for me to have to step away from that. And, you know, my mom was the type of person that like, she didn't want me to have better for myself. She was a very sick, mentally unstable human being. Like she had Munchausen's a little bit. My brother like stayed home in high school for several years because she was saying that he had issues that he didn't have like whole ordeal. And like, um, it, she wouldn't, you know, whenever I went to go to apply to school, I didn't have any help. And like, I had to apply for the FAFSA and she refused to fill out my FAFSA because she didn't want me to, to do better than what she was doing. And a lot of people are like, why? I'm like, I don't know. But there was this incident where I hit rock bottom with her and I had to cut her out of my life. And I just, uh, actually like two weeks ago came up on the three-year anniversary of not speaking with her going no contact. And it's honestly one of the best things I could have ever done. And like, for you, it's like with, your struggle with addiction, like you had to hit rock bottom and like almost literally die in order to be able to come back from that. And it's like that growth that you can have and like those realizations that you can have. And like, for you, it very much being an ego death for me, it was very much like, no, people can't abuse me anymore. Like you're done. Like you have to have um, like boundary setting is like an uncomfortable topic, but a very real, like necessary thing that needs to like people need to be okay with like setting back you know there's just so many things that like we don't talk about in this field I feel like that's like so essential to us doing well and I don't know like yeah it's so interesting like like we said with boundaries but I just wanted to commend you because I always had admired you you know like when I was like 
struggling. I'm like, how the fuck is she doing it? And you would always be like, you were drinking too much. And I was like, fuck you, bitch, you know? And like, but really, truly, there was like some issues there. So I just, you know, like I've seen you like struggle and go through things and like, you still like are so fucking passionate. I've had to like regain and keep working on like, you know, I'm building my passion up. I'm like setting goals. It's like very slow moving for me right now because I'm like very like kind of fragile still, but like, it's just, I, I just really like admire and look up to you girlfriend because it's like, yeah, it's so cool to see. And I love your podcast and everything. Thank you. And like, you know, I really appreciate that. Like it definitely means a lot. And I definitely have moments where I don't feel like I'm so passionate and like, you know, you talked about that too, of like, you know, being in science and and it turning into like an ego based thing versus Mm -hmm. about the conservation and things like that. That is something that I, I see in the whale watching world all the time. And it's really disheartening for me. And like, I, I kind of wonder if my listeners have noticed like a change in my energy since the start of the podcast versus now, because now I feel like I've, I'm jaded and I've seen some things and like, <laughs> I'm just like, God damn it. Like, cause it's the you same yourself though, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I am somebody who's very aware of the whole ego situation. And I'm somebody who's very aware of conservation. And I had a passenger call me out yesterday because um, we had a lunge feeding humpback whale and we had a mad dogging sea lion, like right in the same area. And I was like, come on, do it at the same time. That would be so cool. And she's like, don't be greedy. And I was like, you're right, ma'am. You are right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And like today we had like friendly fin whales and like, we went off to go like look for other stuff. Cause like, you know, after a period of time you move on, you don't want to be with the animals for too long. And, um, you know, we saw like literally something that we're probably never going to see again. And, um, you know, we're like, let's go see what else is out there. And then my captain was like, you know what, if, if we don't see a whale, it's not a big deal. Like, I don't want to be greedy at this point. Like we've gotten a lot of stuff and it's like, you know, I totally see what you're talking about too. And, and the ego-based thing, like the reason why I talk about it so much is because I think it, it, it ruins, like you're saying your mental health and it, like, I'm somebody who tries to be aware of that and be like, oh my God, like, I don't want my ego to impact. Like, I want to stay true to my values, which is really hard to do because I feel like the odd person out when I'm like, Mm -hmm. it feels like I'm, I'm not the only one, but it feels sometimes like I'm the only one where it's like, let's talk about conservation. Let's have a conversation about climate change. Let's have a conversation about like microplastics, like whatever ocean issue it is that my passengers want to talk about. Like I'm let's, let's talk about it. Like, so but it's like, I don't feel like, I feel like a lot of people get into this and they start out that way. They start out with wanting that to be the case. And then it then becomes about photos and clout and like all these other things. And like, I feel like people get annoyed with me talking about it. I get annoyed with talking about it, but it's like, I also get annoyed with the fact that like, there's no fucking urgency for the fact that our planet is in the state that it's in and y'all care about getting a fucking picture when we have climate change and we've got like three years to fucking make shit happen before we've already caused like permanent damage we have but like before it like truly truly gets bad like this is not a joke and people like it's like yeah I I, like used to have when I was like living in Monterey and kind of like in my active addiction like just being like oh my god like let me use a fucking plastic straw you know like I'm tired of the microplastic you know like because people like get so like, you know, just like sometimes obnoxious about it, but it's like, it's so such a problem. Like it's a problem that we need to like continue. It's not something that we can't like fix, you know, like you said, we probably yes have caused some permanent damage, but you know, the world is still 
still this place that's like worth saving, you know? Absolutely. And I think that we need to switch from that ego-based mindset that you were feeling in the scientific community that I think a lot of people feel that I feel is heavily prevalent in the whale watching community, because here's the thing is like, you guys should listen to Maddie, someone who went down the road with taking the ego thing a little bit too far and how it impacted her. And, and here's the thing about it is like the, you know, the scientists and the whale watchers and anyone else literally in any field, not even just ecology, anybody that is, is living in a place where they're doing it for external validation for ego reasons is not happy, is never going to be happy. You're never going to be fulfilled because at the end of the day, it's never enough. You always got to be at the top and there's always somebody above you. Um, and so that definitely makes it hard. One second, the puppy is being removed from my room. Okay. Oh my goodness. The drama. The, the, the family puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, yeah. I lost my train of thought there, but I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> Yeah. Basically just like, it's easy to get caught up in the ego, the ego thing. And it's, it, but it's destructive. Like not, it's not, okay. it's both yeah. destructive to your mental well-being, your mental health, as well as the things around you. Because when it becomes about ego, when we put the focus on, on that and the photo and the publication, and we don't put the, the focus on conservation and and relaying scientific information to people who don't have access to it regularly. And when we, you know, aren't putting, when we're putting the emphasis on, on things that don't matter, it then we're not doing anything. We're just contributing to the problem. You know, yeah, I, I think that was just really well said what you just said. And I, I wanted to jump in there because I'm in the program, a 12 step fellowship program. So I work in this program right now, but we're reading this book and it's literally like, by written by one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous but like the big theme like he said the problem of all problems is human ego like it is like because like if you look at like the the world or like just a circle in general like it's like there's there's your higher power there's there's every there's people there's community there's all this stuff and then what separates you from that is only your ego so like from all the grace and the good and the the divinity in the world that there is and you know if you're not in a 12-step fellowship program maybe this is maybe this is over people's head but like it's really like the problem of all problems is just like thinking you are better than you know just thinking you're better than like anything yeah and yeah a hard pill to swallow but I'm like yeah like I'm no better than anyone else and we all do it. And I think culturally we're taught to do it. We're taught that, you know, you want to be the top dog. You want to be the hero, like that. That's what, what makes you valuable. But like, here's the thing is like, and you know, I think about this a lot whenever I make life decisions on like, okay. And when I'm on my deathbed, like what's going to matter? Like, am I going to care about like this specific thing? Like, like, for example, like, am I going to care about, you know, cutting somebody off to get this photo? Or am I going to care about the fact that like somebody who's never seen a whale got to see a whale, like really close. Am I going to care about the relationships that I've built? Because that's the other thing too, is like, I think if we were able to set ego aside, like community is something that's very, very important for human beings. Like that is just how we are wired. And like, you know, you have to be, you know, when we think about our needs and what it takes to do something better for the planet, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, step one, basic shit, what you need, food, shelter, air, like to be clean, you need that basic stuff. Then from there, it's like, you need like, 
you know, community, you need self-esteem. Yeah. Boundaries, like, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then, then you can go and do the work when you're physically taking care of yourself, when you have, you know, a secure housing situation, like when you have food to eat, like, you know, there's a lot of privilege in this field. And I think a lot of people forget that most Americans struggle one in four Americans struggle with food security, like of knowing where their next meal is going to come from. That's a lot of fucking people like, and you know, people can't, there are tons of passionate people out there that they can't give what they want because that they don't have their basic needs met. And like, even aside from the basic needs, you need to feel, I think that self-esteem is hugely important and not in the ego sense, but in the sense of like what you're saying, where it's like, I can go to grad school and whether or not I get recognition doesn't matter. You know, yeah, and it's like, well, I still love myself, you know, I'm not so mean to myself anymore, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something we all need to do. And that, that's like one of the, like, that's what I, I, like some girl asked me yesterday. So the last couple of days on the boat, we've had a bunch of students from UC Santa Cruz and it's been absolutely awesome to have them out. And they're like very, very awesome, very bright students. Like, you, like they're just, they're on time. They they're awesome. Anyways, I just, just shout out to these students, but anyways, so I had this young girl ask me, like, she's probably like 20 and she's like, you know, so what do you think the biggest thing for climate change is? And I was like, well, obviously, you know, we have like rising sea temperatures. We have microplastics. We have like, you know, animals getting too hot. We have places going underwater. Like we have all these things, but ultimately these are symptoms of a bigger issue, which is human ego. And I think that we need to get our planet right. And we need to get, you need to get yourself and your heart right. Because you know, a lot of these big issues, it has to do with like billionaires who probably have giant, huge ego issues because just straight up, there's, there is no person that is mentally healthy. That is a billionaire. Like it takes a certain level of narcissism to that. And like, you know, it's important to check yourself. Um, and nobody's perfect. And I don't like say this to call anybody out or make anybody feel like shit, like, but you know, we all have things, we all have demons that we have to face. And like, you know, that, and you face your demons and I've had demons that I've had to face. And like, of course I'm like, whenever I talk about the ego stuff, it's not because that, like, I have been this, like, completely, this person like, just that isn't affected by it. And that is so unegotistical. No, I'm a human. And I need to like, check that too. And I'm constantly surrounded by egotistical people and you you become that way you become like the people that you're around and so like that's also part of why I bring it up because it's like I'm like I have to actively be aware and actively work on that because I see that being the biggest issue and like even me talking about it is just a reminder to myself to make sure that I like stay away from that you know because it's easy to get caught up yeah because I think it's like some I mean oftentimes uncomfortable to talk about but it's like important to like be uncomfortable you know like that's yeah how we're gonna you know and I think that that's something important to consider and unfortunately we live in a world where the internet has has showed people like you know it's it's allowed us to create more boxes to put Mm -hmm. people in and just be like okay you're in this box I'm in this box you're right wing I'm left wing And there's a lack of communication, a lack of exposure to other people. And then also like with the whole PC movement, like, you know, people being very politically correct, which I think it's, it's absolutely important to make sure that we are being mindful of educated. Yeah. And, and educated. However, at the same time, we do need to have patience and understanding for those who 
maybe were raised in a different way or have been exposed to different things and don't say things that are necessarily respectful. We need to be able to still have respectful conversations without putting people down, without being like, how do you not know this? Like, um, in order to bridge those gaps, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think we, yeah, we, we have to expose ourselves to more people. We have to check our ego. Like we have to not get so mad at each other and like, remember that everybody's human. And I think, yeah, just like, like, since I've kind of been like learning to love myself, it's like, I love myself, but I don't love myself more than I love anyone else. You know, like I love all these things and I want to like, that's kind of my like motivation in life is to like work to like protect these things that I love just as I love myself. And Absolutely. Yeah. And like not putting too much pressure on yourself and understanding too, that like, you know, while you do want to like spend all these days in the lab, it's, it's exhausting. It's not sustainable. And like, you need a break and like things take time. And like, you know what, like, even though we are in a, like, we do have this pressure to get shit solved for the planet. If you're exhausted and you're burnt out and you're in the lab every day, you can't help the planet in the best way. Like rest mm-hmm. and self-care and like spending time with people like you have to live a very balanced life of like eating healthy being physically healthy working the appropriate amount like making sure that you take a shower making sure you got a roof over your head and all these things take time so it's important to make sure that you allot time to all these things because otherwise you are just going to be burnt out and the puppy is back oh my goodness and the proper time hold your puppy oh my gosh so cute I was just going to say like some, some little things maybe for listeners that I've learned. Cause I just wanted to share like just things I do to like stay mentally fit that I've been working on is like one holding puppies. No, I'm just like, but, um, but really I keep a, like a gratitude list right by my bed and I, every morning write something on the gratitude list, you know? And like, I found that like meditation and prayer have been really helpful. And then just like, um, honestly, if you are struggling with mental health struggles, like, see a therapist and maybe a psychiatrist and maybe take medication. I used to be so opposed to taking medication and I am on some things now that have really, really helped me. So I just wanted to kind of like shout that out there as my like advocacy thing, you know, those are yeah. things that can really help you stay That's- mentally well. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I've been in therapy for a while. I think that even people that quote unquote, you know, don't have problems should go to therapy because we can all work to be better human beings. There are all issues that we can work through. Um, So I think finding a good therapist is helpful, but yeah, no, I think you're totally right. Like, you know, be open to different things, do what you need to take care of yourself, hold puppies as often as possible. Um, Never miss an opportunity to hold a puppy. Never Are you going to ask me what we can learn from the squid? Cause I've just like been waiting. Yes. What can we learn from the squid and from the puppy? Of course. (laughs) Well, the puppy, I, okay, yes, I do see this with my dog, with my two puppies, like, puppies literally just fucking, like, they live in the moment, you know, like, they are just dogs, like, they, like, like, the two of them, they fight, and they play, and it's, like, they get too aggressive, and it's, like, as soon as we separate them, they, like, forget each other exists, you know, and they're, like, fine, you know, they're, like, okay, like, now I can take my nap, so it's, like, they just, like, are so, like, they wake up every day and are excited, so that's, I think, what we can learn from the puppies, like, just live in the moment, Amazing. but, um, I was waiting for this, the, what can we learn from the squid yeah, question? Can we learn from the squid? I love that uh, you asked that question at the end, but um, basically like my answer to the question is, because you talked a lot about community, but these squid are like so social. And I know like you, your podcast is focused on the orcas, which I think are probably a little bit better example of 
being like a, an important member of the community and having a strong community, but like these squid are very like communal and social as well. And they communicate like flashes of chromatophores. And I just think like that is, I mean, the opposite of addiction we say is connection. And so like, just like connecting with people, building healthy relationships, like, and, and squids, squids are out there doing it. And I think just like being your authentic self, because not like those squids, they're all different with their personalities, but then they school up and they live in these big schools and they, that's how they protect themselves. They grow and reproduce. And I just think like, that's, that's what we can learn from the squids, strong community, be yourself. I love that. I think that that's amazing. And I'm going to go ahead and plug anything that Bernie Brown has ever produced, whether that's a Ted talk, a book, a podcast, because she's a psychologist that talks a lot about like vulnerability and you being your authentic self and, you know, the importance of connections and things like that. So I, you know, I feel like she, she would appreciate this podcast because there was definitely some vulnerability and authenticity there. So plug that anything that Brene Brown has ever produced, I stand behind. Yeah, she's been recommending to me, but you'll have to send me some links. I I haven't actually like listened to her. Oh girl. I feel like this means that we need to like read a book together, like chapter by chapter, because I fucking love to talk about Brene Brown and I haven't read anything. Oh, she just came out with a new book called Atlas of the Heart, which I still haven't bought, but I need to buy and maybe we should buy it. I'm down. We can read it together. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you everyone so much for joining us for this. I think it probably was a little bit longer, but hopefully worth it. Podcast. I was so excited. Yeah, this is awesome. And the puppies, lots of puppies. And that's it. Yep. So much puppies. I'm so excited. It's Peach's birthday and that you have a puppy that's so cute. Yes. Happy birthday to Peaches. Happy birthday, Peaches, because that's how we need to end this is about Peaches. Amazing. Okay, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Bye.